We're in a series of messages right now called Great Expectations, and we know that theme from the book that was written by Charles Dickens years ago uh, about a guy named Pip, right, who lived his life and navigated so many different things as he lived his life. There was wealth, there was poverty, there was love, there was rejection, there was good, there was evil, there was... There were people who were engaged with one another and people who went away from each other. It's just, it was life. And as we look at our world right now, we see ourselves in the same situation. We live in a world where there is wealth and there is poverty, where there is love and there is rejection and where there is good and there is evil. Y'all, this world is a mess. Do I have a witness out there from anybody, right? How in the world do we live in all of this? Well, guess what? We can And we can because we have a faithful God who is with us to help us. I know we can because Jesus did. Jesus is our example. In fact, when we look at this theme of great expectations, we learned the very first week that there is one primary expectation that overrules them all. And it's the expectation that helps us measure our life and helps us see whether or not we're living out our potential. And it's the expectation to be like Jesus. If I'm like Jesus, I'm living out my potential. If I'm not, there's room for me to grow. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you about today. All the other expectations that we learn are related to becoming like Christ. The expectation we learned was about time and how important it is for us to spend our time making the investments that we need to become like him. But today we're learning this, that we need to be better, that we need to be improving our lives. And we're gonna learn in some specific areas how it is that we are to improve our lives. We're gonna take a look at this and learn it from something that the Apostle Peter wrote uh, in the scripture in the book of 2 Peter. He was talking about the end times and in preparing the Christian people who would read this message, he was telling them and teaching them, hey, the end is coming. And this is what we need to be like when it comes. In other words, during this time that we're living now, we need to be preparing ourselves and growing into becoming people just like this. So with that in mind, listen to what the Bible says. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. If you're excited about that, say amen. A new heaven's coming, gang. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. This is the key passage but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. 
Amen. That last statement is so important because he brings attention to the first and most important expectation that we have. He says what we've already learned, put it on your outline sheet, that we're expected to be like Jesus. He said it in this way, that we are uh, to bring glory to him both now and forever. The to him is Jesus. And the way in which we bring glory to someone is we honor them with our lives. In other words, we live our lives the way they live their lives. So then the question is, am I honoring him? Can people tell that I have a relationship with God? Can, can people tell that I have a relationship with Jesus through the way in which I live my life? That's what we learned the first week. We learned it through a passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So that's the question. Am I honoring God? Am, am I honoring God by living as Jesus lived? Is that who I am? If it is, awesome. If not, I need to grow. For me to grow requires me to do something. And it's the second thing that we learned in this series already. We are expected to make the most of every opportunity. It takes our time. Peter was saying time is limited and end time is coming. And what you need to be doing from now until then is this. We need to be honoring God. We need to live our lives as Jesus lived his life. What do we learn about this in making the most of the opportunities? We read it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That last statement is really important because this is what Paul knew who wrote that scripture and what Peter who wrote the passage that we read today both knew that Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Do I have a witness out there from anyone with that? He is out there. The days are evil. He's trying to turn our days into bad, to evil, not for them to be good. Yet we are to turn the days into something that's good. The difference between our life of being wise and unwise is whether or not we're turning our days into good or we're turning our days into evil. That's what it is to be wise. In fact, if I'm wise, if I'm making the most of the opportunities, if I'm making the most of my time, through my life, this world is better. Through me, my relationships are better. Through what I'm doing, my relationship between myself and God is better. That's wisdom. If I'm not making the world better, if my relationships are not being better, becoming better because of my efforts, I'm living an unwise life. What do I need to do if I'm unwise? I need to grow. Third thing on your sheet, we're expected to live holy and godly lives. That's who I am to be. That's what I'm to grow into. We read that straight from the scripture. It's in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So he's given us a description of what our life is supposed to look like. What is a holy life? We see the definition to be holy is having a spiritually pure quality. It's being like God. How do we know what that looks like? Jesus looked like this. 
Not only did Jesus look like this, but in the instruction that Peter gave us, he described to us what a holy and a godly life looks like, and he gives us some descriptive terms to help us understand what it is. We see in the scripture, it said in verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. If I am holy, if I am godly, the first thing it tells me is this, that I am spotless. We are to be spotless. What does it mean to be spotless? Well, when you think about something where there's a spot, it means that there is dirt, that there's stain. Something is supposed to be pure, but it's no longer pure because something has been added to it that shouldn't be there, and it's left a mark. In spiritual terms, we understand what this is called. It's called sin. When I say that I'm spotless, it means this. It means that I have no sin in my life, which means this. I'm not doing anything harmful in my life. I'm not doing anything that will harm me. I'm not doing anything that will harm you. Everything that I'm doing is helpful in my life. It will either help me be more loving or it will help you be who God wants you to be. That's what my life looks like. So then we ask, am I spotless? Well, what, what would cause this sin to be in me? Or what would keep this sin away from me? For me to be spotless is not only sin, but what happens is this. There is no selfishness within me. There is no selfish desire within me that's going to cause me to do something that's hurtful to other people. Everything that I do is helpful. Y'all, this sounds awesome, but this ain't me. Do I have a witness out there from anyway? I This isn't me. Because I would love to say that I'm always, 100% of the time, always doing helpful things to other people and not harmful things. But I know that that is not true for me because there are some really self-centered moments of my life. And I get it and I understand it. And there are specific areas that I struggle with. Wouldn't you like to know what they are? Keep guessing because I'm not sharing. That's what happens with me. It's what happens with all of us. But the desire is to be holy to be spotless, to be without those stains. What else did he say? He said this, that we're to be blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? It means exactly what it says. We are without blame. We are not doing anything that's causing things to break. My behavior is not causing my relationships with other people to break. My behavior is not bringing any hurt to anyone. My, my behavior is not bringing any harm to anyone. My behavior is not causing any destruction whatsoever. And any of my relationships, either between myself and others or my, myself and God, I'm blameless. No one can say it's his fault the world is in such a terrible, dire place. Or no one can say that it's his fault that this marriage has gone awry or his relationship with his kids has gone awry, or his relationships with his family, other family members, or friends, or coworkers has gone awry. No one can say that he's to blame. That's who we're supposed to be. Why? Because all we do is helpful toward them. It's, it, it's encouraging them. 
It's making sure that they're not destroyed. It's making sure that their life is better. This sounds like an awesome life to be. That's what it is to be holy. And if we're not, we have to grow into becoming that kind of person. He gives another description. He says this, that we're at peace. We're at peace with God. We've learned before there are different categories of relationships. There's the peaceful relationship where uh, we're selfless, that we put the other person before ourselves. Everything that we do is helpful for the other person because we're investing in them. When two people are doing that for each other, there is peace. When one person is doing that for another person and is selfless, and the other person, however, becomes selfish and starts doing things that are hurtful and harmful and destructive, it causes conflict in a relationship. That's the other category of relationship. It's a peaceful relationship or a conflict relationship. Or if you have two different people who are both self-centered people who are doing harmful and hurtful and destructive things toward each other, you're in the third category. You are at war. That's your relationship. For us to be holy, to be blameless, to be spotless, to be sinless, to be selfless in our behavior, We're the people who are doing everything that we can to be at peace with other people. That's who we're supposed to grow into be. I don't know if this is convicting to you or not, but I'm hating having to preach to myself twice today. Are you hearing this? Because I can tell you there are times I'm to blame in conflict that happens between me and my wife sometimes. It's shocking. I know it surprises you or between me and my kids, or between me and coworkers, or whoever it may be. I get it, and I understand that there are weaknesses in my life that Satan tries to use and turn my day into evil instead of into good. But this is the ideal. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is who we are to be. So how do we do it? Well, we have to make an effort to do it. Number four on your outline sheet, we're expected to make an effort. This comes straight from that same scripture in verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every, what's the next word? Effort. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. In other words, we have to do something to be different. And it tells us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow. We find it in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In other words, we are to to become like Jesus, and we become like Jesus when we grow in these two very specific areas of our lives and how it is that we grow. One of them is this, that we grow in love, but grow in the grace of The word grace is another word for love. It's a certain kind of love. In fact, we see a description of it. Grace is giving something for the good of others that they don't deserve. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We don't deserve Jesus doing anything for us. We especially don't deserve Jesus giving himself upon the cross, sacrificing himself, giving his life and death in a very cruel fashion for us especially when we deserve the death, when we do self-centered things. But yet Jesus showed that kind of love. And what the scripture just told me is I am supposed to be like Jesus, to be a person who grows into the person who loves like Jesus loves graciously. This is really awesome to me about Jesus. Jesus came to do what he did to save us 
to rescue us. And I have to be the same. Let's write it down in this way. We grow in our willingness to save people. I need to become a person like Jesus. What we know about Jesus is that Jesus went from town to town, from village to village, and he spoke the word of of God to, to the people who were in those areas. He met their needs. He preached and taught them. He healed them in areas of their needs. He did all of that, and we know why he did it. He did it because he had compassion for the people. In fact, if you look over in the book of Matthew chapter 9, it talks about the compassion that Jesus had. He saw the people, and when he saw the people, he had compassion on them. That's what the scripture says, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw these people who were hurting people, who were people who were being led away to live a life that was an ungodly, unsatisfying life. He saw those people and it bothered him. And that's how I have to be. I have to grow in my willingness to show this love, but I'll grow in my willingness to help save these people when my compassion for other people grows. My question is, do I care enough about people? Well, if I care enough about people, then I'll sacrifice for people even though they don't deserve that sacrifice. There's another statement that we grow in our frequency of saving people. In other words, because I have compassion for people, I will be engaged and I will do things. My question is, am I doing this? Am I serving? Am I making sacrifices for the benefit of other people? Am I living a selfless, helpful life for other people? Am I doing it? If I'm not doing it, there is no frequency. It's zero. It's not occurring in in my life. And if I am not making sacrifices, I know that I need to grow in my love for other people. Y'all, this is the totally, is so cool and so sweet to me. We do things for other people. A, a, a motivating factor of us doing things for other people is the love and the passion that we have for other people. This is what happens. If we love and have compassion, we will act. We'll just do it. We don't have to work at doing it. It's a desire of our heart and we'll do it. Which means this, if I'm not engaged in service, if I'm not engaged in sacrifice and helping other people, I don't love people enough. I'm not around people who need the love that needs to be shown toward me enough so that people can be saved and find a relationship with God. Something else about this that we grow in our willingness, we grow in our frequency, we do it by making a stronger connection with each other. We grow by connecting with people through getting to know their history, personality, abilities, beliefs, desires, and needs. This is how it happens. If I'm gonna grow in my relationships, if I'm gonna grow in my love, this is what I've learned. The more I get to know someone, the stronger the connection becomes and the more compassionate I become and the more concern I have for the person that I've gotten to know. All of these things that are listed are things that we need to know. I need to know the history of someone. I need to know that it'd be great to know the history of somebody and the family that they grew up in because we're talking about having a relationship with a God who loves us. Our Father God, well, what happens if you grew up in a home where you had a dad who didn't love you? It changes how you see God. 
And the more I learn about someone who comes from a, a broken home or a difficult background, it causes me to have compassion for the fact that they went through such a hardship in their life. And it causes me to have feelings toward them. Personality is getting to know who people are and how God created them uniquely. It's in their abilities, how God gave them abilities to do certain things, things that we can't do, that we begin to appreciate in how they can do things that we cannot do. It's about their beliefs. It's what they believe about life and the purpose of life, what they believe about how it is there to live their life. In fact, it's their desires, what they're trying to get out of life. What are they desiring to become and why are they desiring to become this? And finally, it's this, what are their needs? Because the need part is the showing love part. I get to know all of these things about these people and I get to know their needs and I want to make sacrifices for them, for their benefit, to meet their need because I care about that person because they mean something to me. Y'all, if I'm not serving enough, I'm not loving enough. That's what it says to me. That I'm not, I haven't included enough people around me in my life who need to be loved. If I don't, if I'm not showing love, it's because I don't know people who need this. I need to find these people in my life. Or it might be, I have a relationship with people around me and I don't love the people that I'm in relationship with enough because I haven't built and developed a compassion for them, one that would cause me to act and to get engaged and to get involved. That's what we're to do. We're to do these things. We're to grow in love, but we're also to grow in knowledge. A knowledge of what? What am I to know? Again, it said it in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever, amen. I need to know about Jesus. I need to know about his life. Here's some things that we need to know. We need to know what he said. We need to learn what Jesus said. Let me tell you one of the most important things that Jesus said. I've shared this many times before, but you might remember where this religious guy came up to Jesus and asked Jesus what the most important command is. Some of y'all might remember that. Jesus answered the command. This is what he said. We're learning about what he said. He said, this is the most important command, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said this, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this, all the laws and the commands hang on these two commands. In other words, all the law and the prophets, everything that is in the law and everything every prophet said was taught and done for you to teach you that we are to love God and to love other people. So this is what Jesus said. This is what our life is supposed to be about. Love him, love other people. That's it. That, that's it. Everything else about, it, it all comes back to doing those two things. Then we can see how it is that Jesus loved people though. One of the ways in which Jesus loved people was in what he said. Jesus was not someone who condemned people. Jesus was a person who spoke the truth, but he spoke the truth in kindness and love toward people. I'm supposed to be that kind of person. That's what Jesus said, and that's how Jesus spoke. So I have to ask my question, myself a question. As I'm speaking to people, am I speaking to people as Jesus spoke to people? In the same way, in the same kindness that he shared with those people who were around him. It's not just knowing what Jesus said, but it's also knowing what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? 
Jesus spent his time helping people who were hurting. He discovered their needs, he knew their needs, and he would do what he could do to heal them and to help them in their time of need. Let me share with you something else that Jesus did. Jesus spent time with the ungodly. Jesus did what he did. He met the needs of people. He helped those people who were hurting. But Jesus also deliberately spent time with people who were ungodly. Jesus did not live in a protected cocoon. If he would have, he would not have fulfilled his purpose because his purpose was to come and to seek and to save the lost who didn't know God. How can you reach people who are lost if you don't have any kind of connection with lost people? So what Jesus did, he didn't live, live his life in a protected cocoon at the church, just around Christian people who would encourage him all the time in that way. Instead, he was engaging with people who did not have a relationship with God, with the thieves and the prostitutes and, and the people who dishonored God through their behaviors. That's who Jesus hung out with. That was his life, which makes me think again if I'm supposed to do what Jesus did, am I serving? Am I helping the hurting people? That's what he did in his life. But the other thing is, am I engaging myself with people who are ungodly, people who don't have a relationship with God? I will tell you that every person in this room today, if, you're, if you are saved, I can promise every one of you would say this, that you are grateful that whoever shared Jesus with you took the time to share Jesus with you. Do I have a witness out there from anyone? Aren't you glad somebody spent time with the ungodly? You? I'm glad somebody spent time with the ungodly and me. I had parents who did it for me, but I had other people who came into my life who also did it for me as well. I'm to grow into being that person. I can't say that I'm like Jesus if I'm not serving and, not, and I'm not connecting and building relationships with people who don't know God. I can't say that and be truthful because that's what Jesus did. So how do we, how do, we do this? We make sure we're faithful and following his example. Fifth and final thing, we're expected to be on our guard. We're expected to be on our guard. We hear that in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Peter is telling the people, hey, and he, and he mentioned this. He said, uh, he referred to Paul. You know, hey, Paul's been writing all these letters and it was cool what he said about Paul. Paul's writing the same thing basically that I'm writing you. Paul wrote the same thing over and over again, and it was how you're supposed to live your life while you're here. I mean, that's basically what he was saying. And then he said this, some people twist what Paul said to try to fit whatever their agenda is. That's what he was getting to in the scripture. And they became lawless. They're trying to make it seem like it was okay to live a life, an ungodly life, and be okay with it. That's what happens. There are people in our world who want to feel okay about the life that they live. And what we need to know is we need to know the truth about how we are to live. We need to know and make sure that we are aware of whether or not we're living the life that we're to live. There, there are different types of awareness. There's self-awareness. We've just talked about self-awareness. Self-awareness is 
This is who I am. This is who Jesus is, okay? I compare myself to Jesus, and I'm not living up to who Jesus was in this area. That's self-awareness, and I need to do something about it to make sure that I make the effort to be different, to be like Jesus. What we're talking about now is something called social awareness. Social awareness is being aware of what's happening around us and how people are behaving around us. It's a form of growth and maturity to be people who are aware. It's a form of growth and maturity for someone to be aware and because of it, to be on their guard about the decisions that they make, understanding and being aware of how people are around them. How do we do it? The first thing that we have to, to have is a guiding principle that everything comes back to, and we're gonna call that truth. On your outline sheet, I want you to put this down, that we know the truth. I wanna share with you a truth that Jesus gave. There are many truths that we find in the Bible. I wanna share with you what Jesus said related to this because it's something that everything can come back to, which helps us know Am I behaving correctly or not? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Jesus made this statement. We find it in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He just said, this is how you're gonna have joy in your life, okay? My joy is in you. He fulfilled this. This is why he had joy. But this is what he was saying. This is how you're gonna have joy in your life. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Tim paraphrase, grow in grace. Know what we just learned? It's the same thing. Grace is giving of ourselves, giving for the benefit of the others. Even if they don't deserve it, we do that thing. What Jesus just did was gave them the guiding truth and principle of their life. I want to put it in this way. We can write this truth in this way. I experience joy when I live up to my potential by living a selfless life, by giving of myself for the benefit of others. That's where joy comes for me. I'm selfless. I do everything to help you and benefit you. It's not about me. It's not about me, me becoming better than anyone else. It's not about me. I become selfless and I wanna do what I do to benefit you. It guides everything that's happening around me, which means this, if this is the truth that is to guide my life, I need to measure my behavior and the behavior of others against that truth. Look on your outline sheet. Not only do I know the truth now, but we're aware of the behaviors of others. Do other people believe that same truth? Do they believe that they are to live selfless lives and to do what they do for the benefits of others? Y'all, there are two beliefs. There's a selfless belief, which is the one I just described, and a selfish belief, which is the complete opposite. The selfless belief, I am selfless and I give of myself for the benefit of others. The selfish belief is I am selfish and I will do what I do to benefit myself. Those are the two beliefs. It all comes back to those two beliefs. Sin is selfishness. Sin is the stain. Sin is when we are to blame because we've been selfish. All of that, we just learned about all of that stuff. These are the two beliefs. So when I meet people, I get to know people 
When I said just a moment ago, we need to know their history and their personality and their abilities, one of the other ones was this, beliefs. What is their belief? Did they believe they can find joy separate from God living for themselves or did they believe they find joy in being selfless and doing things to benefit other people? I have to know where they're from. Here's the cool thing, y'all. If they're living by the wrong belief, God has just given me a God moment because now I am engaged with an ungodly person who needs the love of Jesus. Is that not awesome? That's great. Until they start influencing you and turning your day into evil instead of you helping turn their day into good. See, that's the awareness part of it. This is the belief. It's either the selfless belief, godly, selfish belief, ungodly. What God wants me to do is to turn your, un, to turn your selfishness into a selflessness to know the love that God has for you even though you're not worthy of his love to change your heart. But there are many of those very same people that God wants to use to turn you away from God. It's the last statement. We're aware of the motives of others. Do they have a motive against us? One of the primary motives that people have that energize us is the motive of acceptance. God created us to connect with other people. God created us for community. God created us with a desire to, to, be, to belong to other people, that we all have that. Because of that, we have this desire for acceptance. We want people to accept us. Some people in an ungodly way will do this. If I have enough money and can buy enough things, then maybe people will see me as important and accept me because of my wealth. Or they'll say, if I am pretty enough, or if I dress well enough, or if I look good enough, people will look to me and they will accept me because of what I look like. Or if I'm good enough at my job and my ability, if I'm better than everybody else, if I can do it better than everybody else, then they'll accept me because of my ability and what I do. So I have to be better than everybody else. All of these acceptance things turn into this very self-centeredness that causes us to try to get the approval of other people for who we are in our behavior. It's acceptance. That's a negative version of acceptance though. You see, there's a positive version of acceptance. We have to realize that everything that they're doing that's ungodly, oh y'all, this is so sweet, I'm about to get excited. It's a cry for help. Did you hear that? Every ungodly behavior that they're doing is a cry for help. And we have the answer. But we've got to be strong enough to give it. Because this is what's happened. A lot of those people who've lived the ungodly, instead of the godly turning them godly, the ungodly have turned us ungodly. And we've fallen for a lie. And if we have, you know what we need to do? We need to grow. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. No matter what you've done in your life, you can't do enough to keep God from loving you. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why he sent Jesus.
to show us what we're to do, how we're to live, how we're to invest our lives with each other to benefit others and even to engage people who do ungodly things, selfish things. He did it so that we can be forgiven. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin so that you don't have to. That's what salvation is. Salvation is being saved from being separated from God for eternity. Salvation is being saved from not having a relationship with God. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And it happens when we accept what Jesus did for us for our forgiveness. We accept the, the, the gift that he did, the performance gift. He did something as a gift for us by dying for us. We accept what he did for us. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us this, if we call on the name of the Lord that we'll be saved, if we go to Jesus and give him our life, that we will become his and we do it through prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, my hope is that something that's been said today about the two different types of lifestyles or whoever it is, that something has opened your eyes today to help you see that living for the things of the, the world is not giving you joy, nor will it ever. It's only a relationship with God, and God wants a relationship with you, and he wants it right now. I would encourage you to pray something like this to God. Dear God, I know you love me. I don't deserve it. I know you sent Jesus to die for me and be resurrected for me for the forgiveness of my sins. And I accept what you did right now, Jesus, for me. And I give my life to you. If you pray that and mean it with your heart, God hears that. He says yes to it. And you know what it's like to be connected with a God and a Father who loves you. The end of our service, back in the back to my right, to your left, there's a single door with a glass window. One of our, our volunteers is back there and would love to talk with you and help you answer any questions that you have about this. If you want to become one of our ministry partners, as one of our members in our fellowship here, or be baptized or whatever, it's also you can go there as well. But we'd love to help you in any spiritual decision that you, you need to make. For those of you who are believers today, Christians today, where do you need to grow? Do you need to grow in love and your willingness to reach people, to reach out to people who need you in the frequency of you doing this and growing in compassion toward your relationships with other people whom some may be having terrible relationships with and have no compassion for? Is that the growth that you need? Are you the person who's causing conflict in the relationship rather than peace? All of that is growth, and it comes from love. Are you the person who needs to change your behavior, that you're not someone who's engaged, that you've been very selfish in, your, in the way in which you've been living your life and putting yourself before others? God's Spirit's helping you see that about yourself right now, and I want to encourage you to pray about it and get it right. Today is a day to make change. And it happens when we're honest with God about our condition and make the commitment to change and begin doing the work that brings growth. And I wanna encourage you to make that commitment. As I pray, I invite you to pray as well. However God leads you to pray, just pray right now. Father, thank you for what you've taught us and I thank you for this word and I thank you for the strength of it. I thank you for the convicting nature of it in my own personal life because it just makes things evident in me 
and more aware in me of areas that I need to grow. And I pray, God, that I would be committed to do that and to do what's necessary to be different and to be more like you every day. God, I ask you to help me to be spotless, to be blameless, and to be a peacemaker. Help me be holy. Help me be the person that you want me to be. God, we heard about all these people in history that we sang about just a little while ago, and Moses and Mary and this person and that person. God, I pray that you would raise up people today who are faithful people who live to honor you. God, help us as we live that we would live out a legacy that can be followed so that people can be like you when they follow the example that we leave for them. Thank you for what you taught us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.